What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Saul Monoli, at Saul Monoli NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? Good, Salman. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I, I, I'll be honest. I'm a little thirsty. So normally I do these podcasts and I have like a, a jug of water here and I'm kind of sipping it on it throughout the podcast. <laughs> Smart. And I'm, I'm a little paranoid because I don't have the water here. And like, I'm wondering if I'm going to like die of thirst in the middle of recording. Like, I'm just, I feel like I got, I'm going to, I'm going to grow hoarser at some point. Just talking. <laughs> that's, that's the fear is you lose your voice and you don't have something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, if, if anytime you need to step away, you go for it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to power through. Let, let's see how I can, how I can go on no water. Well, right. I'm not going to say I'm not, I'm on no, no water. I've drank water today, obviously, but like, I, I'm not on my, no, I'm not as hydrated as I want to be. Let's say that. Let's okay, go there. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's be honest here. I, we are firmly into the off season which means I have no Rockets news to react to uh, yeah. and no, no Rockets news to talk about. So this is what we're going to do today. We are going to draft our four or five favorite storylines going to the Rockets season. really depends on how long we go with this and if, how, how much we overlap. And okay. I'm thinking, you know, I have seven here. I'll pick my favorite four or five. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, five yourself to go through. And, you know, we can just, we can just bounce off of each other. Um, yeah, we talked about it before the air, but, but like, I, I feel like this would be a good kind of, not, I'm not sure for the season preview, but it's kind of like, it gets to start to start thinking about the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm all for it. It sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, so guess goes first. What's your number one, most compelling storyline going into the rocket season? I think the most important, biggest storyline is probably, even though it doesn't mean the most long term, but it's probably going to be Kevin Porter Jr. as the okay. starting point guard. I that's would what say I had. That's who, okay, yeah. that's what I would take number one. I, I think um, it's it's just his big year, his final year is sort of a tryout, if you will. He hasn't been extended. Uh, his contract's coming up. Uh, if he if he's not extended this off season, his contract will come up next year. And the Rockets have, you know, both the NBA draft, and they should have a good pick, and uh, tons of cap room and free agency to work with. And point guard might be a position they fill at that point. It, it, it all depends on KPJ. And Kevin Porter Jr.'s performance this year, um, I, I say this and it really, I really mean it. It could be the difference between him being out of the league based on, on things, how he reacts and stuff, and him being a, a starting point guard on a long-term deal. So, uh, this is a very, very big year for him, and it's an important year for the Rockets to determine if he's uh, the true starter long term. Yeah, and and as I say, uh, as I said at the top of the podcast that we have no use to you know really react to. I kind of lied. Uh, Shams did report that the Rockets and Kevin Porter Jr. are mutually interested in coming together on a on a contract extension, and that to me is really the big shoe here that's left to drop. If there is a shoe left to drop, right? If there's a contract extension agreed to before the season. And here's my personal take on it. I would offer something. And if, if Kevin Porter Jr.'s camp does not agree to it, I would be willing to wait till, till restricted free agency. I would, I would offer what I deem to be market value. So whatever the Rockets deem to be market value, I kind of deem that to be around the mid-level exception for a long-term deal. Right. So, you know, $10 million, okay. Yeah, eight to 12, Uh, you know, like nothing, you can be flexible with it, something reasonable in that range. And if I'm, if it's anything above that range, if we're, if we're getting into 12 to 15 range, uh, hell even maybe more, uh, if, if we're getting to that territory, I would want significant non-guarantees in there. I would want performance based, based incentives in there. Um, I want anything to protect me long-term. If, if I'm the Rockets, like, so, you know, for example, free throw percentage, I would include free throw percentage as a, as an incentive based in there. Uh, I would in- include games played in there. Uh, I would include um, behavioral stuff, you know, like if of course, yeah. it's really hard to, you know, kind of craft the language there, but I would try to make it in, in such a way that it's obvious what we're talking about. If some sort of incident happens, I want to be able to, you know, use that to get out of a contract, you know, or, you know, guarantee, uh, non-guarantee the last two or three years, right? Like I, I want something along those lines, perhaps Kevin Porter's juniors camp's not willing to go all the way there, but you know, I, I want significant non-guarantees if I'm paying more than that around mid-level exception price. What's your feel on that kind of? 
Well, mid-level exception price, I feel much more comfortable in that range, but I, I'm, I'm pretty much agree with you. I, I just, I'm really not inclined or I just don't feel any pressure to offer really much of anything. I'll be totally honest because I just feel like this year is critical to determining whether he should have any, any contract beyond this season. I mean, he had a very good year last year, or I should say a good year last year. He had some very good numbers. Um, I think, you know, as the Rockets continue to add talent, like they've added Jabari, they've added Tari Eason, it's going to be incumbent upon him to sort of get those guys going, to run an offense. It's not just about catch and shoot numbers and, you know, his assists, which are very good. I'm not, uh, you know, certainly knocking anything that he's done there. He's been, he's been pretty effective. It's him running the show and being uh, the guy who's also, you know, facilitating and, and making things happen for other people. So, that plus the behavioral issues just in the past, even though things are progressing nicely and, and, and he seems to be maturing, it's just to me, it's too big of a risk to give him a long term deal like beyond two, three years, um, just because of the possibility that that thing could just become worth zero. I mean, if there's some sort of uh, behavioral issue that makes that, uh, you know, it makes it an unplayable guy and, uh, and an untradeable contract. To me, I'd much rather risk the Rockets go to restricted free agency and that become a contract that is more than they could get him for right now. So if it's five, ten, you know, five plus million dollars annually more per year in a year, that's a better outcome, in my opinion, than signing him to a three, four year deal now and something happens where it's worth zero. So I would rather wait and, and see what happens. Let it go to restricted free agency. I think it's a, a clear thing that Daryl Morey would do. Let's see what Rafael Stone, who has been very uh, careful in crafting sort of, you know, his reputation is very player friendly um, and that's, you know, a positive thing. But, you know, Daryl was more asset driven in the sense that if, if you're going to be a restricted free agent, I'm letting that go to restricted free agency. And uh, I want to see another team show me actual market value. Well, this is going to be kind of one of those cases, right? Like to see just how cold Rafael can be. Right, just to see, True. you know, uh, to see if, if he's willing to let it go to restricted free agency. I actually do think they will. I think they will. I think they'll I let it too. go to restricted free agency. Yeah, uh, and I, yeah I, I, I totally agree. I think it's the right thing to do. I think, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with it. That's what it's there for. That's that's what you know. When you're not quite certain what a rookie contract should be worth, right? A second year contract, excuse me. You let the contract go to restricted free agency, and like you know. We're t- anything over 12 to 20 range, you know, annually, that's kind of starting level point guard p- price, right? That That's what you're paying to a starting level point guard. I'm not 100% sold that Kevin Porter Jr. is a starting level point guard. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think he's a good rotation guard. I think I'm, I'm 100% sold that he's going to be that. Like, I think he's going to play in important playoff games in the future, uh, whether that's a, as a sixth man or as the fifth starter, I don't know. Um, and that's kind of what I want to find out this season. And I kind of talked about this uh, in the write-up to the news, uh, you know, reaction reacting the news on RedIsTruth.com. Um, I talked about how, like, you know, there are late bloomers for point guards, right? It, it's happened before. Eric Bledsoe is a great example of this, right? Bounced around the league for a little bit, really found himself in Phoenix, became a starter, solidified himself as a starter. Um, Tony Parker, my, one of my favorite players of all time, was a late bloomer, really frustrating player for the first few years of his career. And he found himself, you know, he became someone, I mean, he, Hall of Fame point guard, you know, like sure. he, he, that's, that's the best case example. Mike Conley is someone I talked about on last podcast, right? Really frustrating player. Um, first few years, really inefficient. Uh, didn't quite know if he was a starter, but the organization kept on believing in him. And I think that's probably why I like the, the Conley comp so much because the Rockets are behaving very similarly to the Grizzlies in that sense in that they are are letting him earn it. They they believe there's something here worth exploring. They're going to continue to start him next year, right? And that, that's why Absolutely. I like that comp, right? And if he becomes, you know, that kind of player, obviously I'm not comparing him to Mike Conley. I don't even think that's a good comp. I, I'm just talking about more so their development curve. If if he develops on that kind of trajectory, right, where you know maybe he's not peaking uh, 21, 22, 23, you're you, maybe he's peaking 23, 24, 25. You know, I think it's worth playing the game, gambling a little bit, letting it go to restricted free agency, let the market dictate what he's worth. And there's no harm in um, in just doing that. I mean, like the, yeah. the, the, the Suns did that with DeAndre Aiden and he's back, you know? 
Yeah, and that's. I think there are some fans out there. I see this on Twitter that sort of feel like I know. In my case, I'm sure other people who say the same thing that you know, don't, saying "don't extend him now" means you don't like KPJ. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think no, it's no. it's TBD. We're we're trying to figure out. You know, you you need to leverage that, like you said. It's not a, an insult to let this go to restricted free agency. That's why it is there. Um, and I think chronologically, this is extremely important. Um, you know, his capital will be nine to ten million dollars by by you know extending that qualifying offer and having it go to restricted free agency. You could theoretically use a ton of cap room and then go you know after after making those moves and sign him. Um, there's just a, there's a lot of benefits in my opinion, a tremendous amount, way more than if you extend him right now. More benefits to waiting. Uh, and I think there's one other thing that's really critical. The Rockets are going to continue to add this top-level talent. They added Jalen Green. They've added Jabari. Tari looks pretty good. Um, you know, And they're going to add another top draft pick next year. The head of the snake, the guy who's running the show here, however, whatever system they're doing, is such an important role. And it doesn't have to be a guy who gets up 20 shots a game. It, it needs to be somebody who's your floor leader, your general. With his some of his issues – there's just more to, to figure out about him. So I, I just, I think it's critical that they don't extend him now, wait this out and let it go to restricted free agency. What would it take for you to be bought in? Cause I, I can tell you right off the bat, he needs to be better defensively, right? Like I, I think in that role, especially for this particular uh, team build, they need to have a plus defender at the point guard position, not just like an adequate slash average defender. They need that guy to be a plus next to Jalen Green. Uh, they need a strong point of attack defender. I think uh, the point guard position is the most logical place to look. And th- right, that's where I would go. I, he got better last year at that, obviously. I thought he got to close to sea level. You know, I don't, I'm not going to say he was at sea, got to sea level last year. I think he got close there, um, as a, especially on the ball. Off the ball still has some room to grow. Shooting, obviously. The three-point shooting, markedly better. Uh, the rim finishing, oddly enough, went down last season uh, after he was a pretty good rim finisher for the you know beginning yeah. of his career. Uh, that needs to go back up. And the free throw shooting, obviously, hand in hand with his efficiency, he needs to get to league average in that area, I think. You know, so, so to me, if I if I had to, you know, tell Kevin Porter Jr. what it would take for like me to give him that sort of a contract, um, get to being a plus defender and get to being a league average efficiency guy, you know, be 55% true shooting, you know, yeah. I, I think that's reasonable. Well, let me just say, as far as, uh, you know, in my view on KPJ, if he didn't have the behavioral issues and he didn't have, uh, or, or I should say, we don't know for sure he's unwilling to play six man, but if he's willing to play six man, there's already a baseline that I think KPJ is good enough to, to be at. So I I, he would be worth extending if it wasn't for those uh, two factors. So, as far as his efficiency in those numbers, I feel good enough about KPJ, the talent, um, to, to sign him there. I, I worry about KPJ, the starting point guard, and of course KPJ's you know off-court issues or just in general issues with maybe coachability and, and a few factors like that. I What I'm looking for mainly is for him to get Jabari in his spots, get Jalen Green in his spots, Shingun. I want him to be a facilitator and a leader more than just having these really good numbers because – you know, we saw him in those final seven games without Christian Wood. His numbers were through the roof. I mean, he took 20, almost 22 shots a game in those seven games, but still he had incredible numbers, like over 48% from the field, over 40% from three, big time numbers. Um, so it's not his talent uh, as far as his ability to score any kind of six-man role. I think KPJ could be very strong in the league, and I would feel confident saying that right now. It's the other factors that uh, concern me. Yeah, and also the Rockets have like over $70 million as of right now in cap space next year. I don't see any reason to jeopardize that, especially when you can play the free agency game next year. Uh, potentially, obviously, it, this is a least likely scenario for the Rockets, but land two max for agency, two, two max for agents, and then bring him back, you know, with through bird rights. That that's I want to leave that option at least on the table, even if it's not likely. I want to at least have that option to explore. Yeah, and, his cap hold I think is about nine to ten million. So if you signed him for that amount, it really doesn't matter much unless you unless you let him go. <clears throat> excuse me. Then that nine to ten million in cap is is kind of held. If you signed him over that amount, then that that comes off the books. But I think right. seventy million to max. I, I'm I'm not sure. That's more of a Bema Thug number. I don't know if that's in quite enough. It's close. 
But I think more likely they will probably end up, you know, kicking the can another year and and getting assets for acquiring contracts that go in another year. I just don't think there's enough of uh, great players that are max worthy um, this summer. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams with cap room. I think the Rockets are going to, um, you know, maybe add, add a Gordon Hayward or a Tobias Harris or somebody like that. Um, you mentioned Mike Conley, somebody like that who's going another year um, with that cap room. But theoretically, yes, if they convince two star players, they might be able to um, work something like that. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think with, when you talk about, uh, I, I do think if they're going to sign, uh, if they're going to extend Kevin Porter Jr., it's going to be above that $9 million cap hold. Like, I think that's pretty clear. It's going to be at least uh, $12 million if they extend him. And, you know, obviously that digs into your cap space. And, you know, in the $70 million a year right now, I mean, the $70 million next year right now may not be enough right now to go get two max free agents, but it's very maneuverable and that you can get yourself there very easily uh, as opposed to a lot of other teams in the NBA. And I think I just want to keep that room open. Even if you don't feel like there's somebody there outright, you can still go trade for somebody, take someone into space, right? Sure. You can still do other, you can still do a lot of bunch, you can still still do a bunch of other stuff with that space and then bring them back through bird rights. I just want to be, I want to have the option to play with it. And, um, you know, obviously if, if, if you can get them for that, really team-friendly deal that we talked about close to the mid-level exception, yeah, do it. Uh, if it's $1 or $2 million of the cap hold, who cares, right? But in general, I just want the flexibility. Like, I, I, like If I'm Houston, I, that's what I That's what I want. I want to keep that open. I do think the Rockets are going to be much better than a lot of people are projecting next year. I think they're... I, I said I said on, the, on a couple shows ago uh, with Adam Spolane, I bet that they're going to get to 30 wins. I, I would be surprised if they don't i think they're gonna have a significant leap because uh, they're taking all these top draft picks and i think Jalen green is good enough uh to carry along his end of season stretch to start this season i'm you know i'm, I'm gonna save my second point for my second i might as well start to right now it's my turn to draft uh i think alperin shangun is gonna have a big season uh i and that's my second uh biggest storyline going into i mean that's my biggest storyline going into the season I think Shangun, um, I think he's due for a, a breakout year. Like I, I really do, and I think that's going to drive a lot of the Rockets' success next season. Maybe not like they're not going to get to play in territory. I, I don't quite see that, but I think they're going to be right below that. I think they're going to be chomping at the bits, looking a lot more organized than they did last year. Partly because Shangun is going to be kind of a hub for them offensively, and they're going to be much better spaced with Jabari Smith, Tari Eason. Ty uh, Ty Washington, all these guys that they drafted can shoot the basketball, um, and they're also going to be starting a lineup that can theoretically space the floor at four positions. Right, Kevin Porter Jr. can shoot, Jalen Green can shoot, Eric Gordon can shoot, uh, Jabari Smith Jr. can shoot, and then Shangu can just spread the floor all across to those guys. And I think he he, he to me, I I can't wait. I like. Listen, like I, I, we record full disclosure. We record a podcast four weeks ago uh, that I had to discard, um, oh, yeah. and I, I asked you this very important question. And uh, at the time, you said no to me. But I'll ask it again. Are you are you game to go join the Alper and Shangun bandwagon? Like, there's still time, Dave. There's still time. <laughs> right. I remember when you asked me. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I mean, I, I'm. I, I want him to succeed. I, I believe it. It's, I still have those same concerns. I think I mentioned to you then um, just about, you know, his defense athleticism, but you know what? I, I hope that I'm wrong here. And I, I don't, this is not something I'm like willing to bet the farm on that. He's not going to make the, uh, make it through. I, I recognize his offensive talent. His, his um, passing ability was way better than I anticipated. I, I really in the draft kind of pegged him as a post scoring uh, big and, you know, wasn't necessarily this huge athletic player, didn't really provide much defense is what I was looking at the time. His defense was better than expected first half of the year. Second half of the year, it t- definitely tailed off and struggled. <clears throat> I think having Jabari next to him is going to be a, a boost. Um, I'm really looking forward to see how those two uh, match together. I'm looking forward to Shengun's year. It's It was third on my list as, as far as biggest uh, storylines going in. I think... He, if he has a big year, you know, then that, that again, is another position that the Rockets have filled as a starting, you know, starting position. 
And now you can see the, the real true pillars of a rebuild. Right now, I feel only confident in saying Jalen Green and probably Jabari are for sure your long-term pillars here. Um, I'm looking for Shingun and KPJ as the guys who are hopefully next. I think I'm comfortable slotting in Shingun there. Maybe that's just me. This is my guy, so I'm obviously biased, right? Like I, I, I love his game. I think he's going to be awesome next year because they're in, they're really insulating him defensively. They're, they're surrounding him with long, switchable, capable athletes defensively in the front court. You're talking about Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr. Um, you still have Jay Sean Tate. Kenyon Martin Jr. still there. Obviously, we'll see what happens in this future. That might be a storyline we, we get to in a, in a minute. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have a bunch of athletes out there surrounding him defensively that can cover for what he potentially can't do. And I think he can play drop defense in the NBA. I really do. Um, am I worried about the size? Yeah, a little bit. You know, he's 6'9". That's not ideal. But I think he's smart enough positionally to keep his body where it needs to be. I think he's going to get stronger. I don't think he's going to get bullied in the post or something by, you know, by any means. I think, you know, it's, it's never fun to go out there and go defend Joel Embiid or Nicole Jokic, but how often are you doing that? You know? And I don't think, I don't think he's going to lose those battles by too dramatic of a position to where the Rockets are losing the minutes where he's on the floor. I think they're always going to be winning the minutes where he's on the floor because he's so good offensively. Yeah, and, he uh, really that's is. That's kind of my bet, you know? Yeah, and I hope that's the case. I, I will say, you know, it, uh, when I normally assess a guy like Shingun, I'm like, okay, this guy's defense could be passable in the league, and that's that's usually good enough. But at the center position, it's just it's tough. Just the way the game transitions, like, you know, traditionally, or I should say, even now, moving forward in this modern NBA, you want somebody there who can sort of uh, protect the rim, cover up mistakes for other players. You know, Jabari is going to be have a huge impact, in my opinion, as far as his just overall impact on a defense. I don't know so much about his rookie year. He's 19 years old and he's going to has a ways to go, but I, you know, hopefully that will mask some of those, some of those issues. I don't see Shangun really having a, a, a ton of potential as a four, but you are correct. His offensive abilities are, he's just so gifted, very Jokic, like just in his offense, he's not as big or as long as Jokic, but still very skilled like that, where he sees the floor in ways that, you know, they're just rare. His his vision's rare. So I'm looking forward to a, a good year from him. I think there's a lot to, to keep an eye on as far as a test as him. He's going to be coming out as the starting center. So a uh, big year for him. Okay. So that, so that was also on your list as well, right? It was. Yeah. Like I said, I had it third on my list. Um, so what, what was your number two? I, I, can, can I guess? Sure. Is it Eric Gordon? It is not the Eric Gordon. Okay. No. It's okay. believe it or not, it's actually Jalen Green's second year because I, th- okay. I I wasn't going to say um, I, this wouldn't have been my number two thing, but I think now it's starting to be in question a little bit. We've always b- um, believed his work ethic, and now, fairly or unfairly, he's just starting to be criticized a little bit because mainly all we're seeing on social media is is you know him playing around or doing different things. We're not seeing him you know join these camps or, or, uh, games or hoops, you know, p- people are saying, well, you know, we want to see him be more of a hooper and just get out there and just play, play, play. And there's, there's some truth to that. We want to see more of that. Doesn't mean it's not happening. I just think that he's setting himself up. If he starts out a little bit slow for that criticism to come about where he didn't work Wait. hard enough in the off season. I, I don't quite understand the, so what's going on? I'm so, like, see, whenever you mention social media, I get lost. Okay. So okay, what's going good. on on Twitter? Like, well, so, you, you're just, I mean, like I said, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying you're okay. seeing um, a lot more criticism of Jalen Green because he's his, you know, other players in if his age or even a little bit older are sharing all these different, uh, you know, videos or other people are sharing videos that show these players. Um, you know, in the Drew League or in other camps or, or just playing basketball with other pros. These are like the Chris Brickley videos, like the workout videos. Is, is that like the shooting in an empty gym kind of videos? No, uh, like the Drew League. And you're talking about like these are oh, like okay. com- oh, competitive. Okay. competitive you're talking games. about like pro amps. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Like Paolo uh, Bancaro and Chet Holmgren were just recently in uh, the, the crossover, I think it's called, the, the uh, Jamal Crawford's League in Seattle. Um, just d- different things like that where they're playing against other pros. You know, the whole go- going okay. all the way back to Akeem playing with Moses Malone and, and refining and working his game. Like I said, so it's, why it's isn't an, he playing more rec league basketball? Is it, that's that's what's being posed on social media. I wouldn't right say now. rec league, but just more competitive basketball with yeah, with I, I Kevin mean, Durant, with other players. 
um, people want to see that. And so they, in, when they're not seeing it, they're just starting to question, is he working hard enough? And again, like I said, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying if he comes out of the gate, you know, not gangbusters, let's say, that will come up. Just watch. Um, people will say he didn't work hard enough in the offseason. So that, I think, is something I'm keeping an eye on because we are banking so much of this team's future on Jalen Green. We feel like at least one, there's one foundation piece for sure um, here in Jalen Green. So I think it's important for him to come out and show kind of like an Anthony Edwards where he's taking that next step in, in the second year. He, he's he's past the, I got my feet wet in the, in, you know, in my rookie season. And now I'm, I'm starting to, to, uh, you know, feel my way around this league and, and know what I'm doing. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just digesting all this information. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Here's my take. All right. I, I think it's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know why people care about these programs that much. I mean, like, yeah, yes, they're cool. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's definitely fun to go see Paulo Boncaro have these 360 dunks, right. Like, and score 50 points in a Los Angeles pro ramp or, uh, Chet Holmgren block like four shots in one possession. Like that's awesome. I'm not sure, uh, how much of that is indicative of work ethic and just, I want to go play in this pro ramp or I can go play in this pro ramp. Maybe Jalen has other obligations that we don't know about. Like I, you know, I just, you know, like it's these guys, especially at the top of the draft, a lot of times have to go do a lot of stuff for their shoe brands, you know, I, especially in the summer. Uh, I, I don't know. Like this, this is a, a, a weird, I, I've never heard this criticism before, but I, I guess I can under, kind of understand where it's coming from when you see the other top prospects. But um, yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. I, to me, I, I guess off the top of the dome, that seems a little unfair. I will. I, I do want to see. I do want to see how he performs next season, just because of how slow he started off last year. And I'm wondering if he can carry that momentum to end last season where he was legitimately playing like an all-star player. If he can carry that momentum to start this season, you're talking about a really, really special sophomore leap. Um, and, you know, sophomore leaps are some of the most exciting. I mean, they, they, they're talk- when you can make a sophomore leap, we start talking about you like a superstar, right? Like, like, like the way we talked about John Morant, right? That's... That's the that's some of the most exciting leaps we ever seen in the NBA. Derrick Rose had a sophomore leap that was like that, right? Um, and so I, w- I want to see if he has that, you know, kind of leap in him. Obviously, it's sometimes these guys flatline, and I think that's fine. Some like I think, you know, it's it's not always linear, especially when you're early on in your career. Sometimes you can have a down season coming off a really awesome first year, uh, and then you that third year pops back up, and you're like playing much better than you ever had in your entire life. So I do want to see though how he's shooting the ball to start next season and how he's defending, right? Defensively, that is something that should be progressing every year. That's something that should be linear. He should be getting better every single year, every single possession. And I want to see how much he improves in that area. Because again, we talked about how I think whoever starts at point guard needs to be a plus defender. Part of the reason is because I don't think Jalen is a plus defender. I don't think he's going to be a plus point of attack defender. Uh, he's got short arms, uh, you know, watching his game in the G league. He was never that guy. He did get better uh, as the season moved along last season, but you know, can he get to league average? If he can get to league average, it's fine for him. That's a good bar. And I want to see if he gets better in that area. Yeah, I, I agree. And and to your earlier comments, I, I agree. It's mostly unfair. I do think there's one thing that has merit and that with the people who say this, in my opinion, re- it resonates a little bit is, yeah, it's not fair that we're not seeing him on social media, but like people want to know that he's out there like hooping with guys, just like that. He's living and breathing basketball where, you know, he wants to pick up his, his bag and just go play ball with, with, uh, with, uh, you know, different pros. And I think that's how people are viewing sort of his mindset of the game. And instead we're kind of seeing these different social media posts and overseas and, and, you know, more uh, fashion and and different things like that. Again, not a justification, not saying it's fair, but I think people just want to feel confident that there's, um, you know, some sort of uh, hoops going on that he's actually, you know, working on his game. I think, I think also people want to, they want the rest of the league to see what they saw in him in the second half of the year. I think there was a, a recent um, publication. I can't even remember now which one it was, but listed the top 125 players in the game. He wasn't on there and there were several rookies on there, but he, he didn't make the list. 
you know, people just want to see him get his due and, and, and show his talent. So hopefully that like, it's just misguided to this whole approach that he's not, uh, you know, working as hard this off season. And that's why I think it's um, kind of important for him just out of the gate, be really strong. I, I will say he had some of the most impressive tangibles coming out of the draft last year. Uh, I, I, you know, that was what made me most nervous about placing Evan Mobley ahead of him is that he seemed to be incredibly driven and really self-conscious about what his flaws were as a basketball player. And uh, someone who seemed to really drill it down, uh, especially the passing, right? The passing is something I feel like I saw a noticeable jump from him in the G League to him in Summer League to him in the NBA. Like he was looking to pass. uh, And that was something I didn't see much of in G League. And I, I feel like that, those kinds of like that, you know, th- those are signs to me of a guy who's driven to improve. And again, we, you know, we have no idea what the f- he's doing. Like he could be bringing his trainer along to him uh, if he's overseas. I, again, I, I don't know. I, I don't yeah, know. On social I, media. I'm with you. I agree. Nobody, we don't know. You're right. That's the yeah. whole point. That's the whole point. We don't know. And so yeah. when there's in uncertainty, people doubt, you know what I'm saying? That's just mm-hmm. the way it goes. And, I, and I'm yeah. with you. His work ethic has always been strong. It showed throughout the year. So, uh, like I said, I just like to see him get out to a good start. I think it's a big part of the year because we are banking so much of this team's future on him, and we felt comfortable at the second half of the year. Now we just need to see that in in year two. Fair enough. Second year, uh, second year, Jalen Green is in a compelling storyline, indeed. Um, third storyline. I kind of uh, want to go right? with you. Are you on, you're on, you're on the fourth one, I think. Under, yeah, yeah, oh, too? yeah, yeah. For, for me, for me, for me. Oh, gotcha. Okay, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I didn't have Jalen Green on the list, but it, but I, I think it, it does, it is deserving to be on the list. Um, for me, I, I'm not sure if I should, if I should pull out the surprising one here or the obvious one. I feel like I want to, I want to, I want to swerve and go with the surprising one. Okay. I, I screw it. How wrong was I about Tari Eason? <laughs> that should have been, that's that's the storyline for the Rockets this year. How wrong Solomon was about Tarzan. Yeah, because more so, like the guy looks really good offensively in a way that I didn't think he could translate from his college game. You know, like I thought, I thought he was someone that was going to come into the NBA and be your prototypical long, athletic three and D defender at, at at a small forward, power forward position. You know, probably a starter. That's what I thought he was going to be. He didn't think he was going to be much more than that. And I'm seeing what he's doing offensively, especially in the G League. I mean, not in the G League, at Summer League. And I'm like, oh, he did this against NBA-level athleticism, right? Like, he, the shooting carried over. A lot of people thought it wasn't going to carry over. It did carry over. Um, the driving carried over. Uh, the transition stuff carried over. And I'm like, okay, like, am I, am I kind of underestimating him as an offensive basketball player? Like, I, I, are, are we over underestimating him as an offensive basketball player? Because I think primarily when you look at that pick, I mean, it was a defensive pick. Even the analytical models looked at it as a defensive pick. That was the reason I, I went out. I went out and found out why those those modeling systems projected him so high is because the steal and block rates were so crazy, right? And I think people are kind of underestimating what he could be offensively. I'm I'm thinking, you know, nothing crazy, but like, can he be Jeremy Grant? Can he be that offensively? I don't think that's unrealistic for him just yeah. based off what he's do, what he's doing against NBA level athleticism. Obviously different than NBA level players, but NBA level athleticism, he did do pretty damn good offensively. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I I to be honest with you, I really felt like I I mean, he has limitations offensively, but I knew this was a guy who was way better offensively than like Herb Jones. And I don't know if he was quite as elite defensively as Herb, but like he's in that ballpark. He's got great size, great uh, hand size, you know, length. He's he's going to be really, really good defensively. But, you know, even at LSU, I mean, the guy was a terror. He just can't he, – he really not very effective with his left hand. He can't really go left. That's something he's got to work on. But, I mean, you hand the ball to him top of the key, he'll go by you right and, and go straight to the basket. He can score. Um, he's very effective, especially with his right hand. Um, you know, he shot, I think, almost 80% from the free throw line, if I remember correctly, at LSU. He did. He did. He did. Yeah. And, and, that, and that was a huge jump from his rookie year where he shot 50-something percent. Like, that was what was crazy. I've never seen a jump like that. Like, he really worked on his shooting, and it, it translated. Yeah. 80% is no joke, especially considering his free throw rate. In other words, getting how often he gets to the line is tremendous. Like, he he's very effective at that. So, 
you know, whether he starts or eventually becomes a six man, whatever it may be. Uh, and he was the six man at LSU, but clearly their best player. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be a tremendous spark on the offensive end. The question is, okay, can he refine that form? Because his form is ugly. Um, but he has, you know, he was, I think, around 36% at LSU. Can he be a guy who knocks down the three-point shot, a la P.J. Tucker, who developed that over time? If he can do that um, and, you know, be able to break down a defense when the shot clock's coming down, I, I think that guy uh, is going to be a steal at 17, to be honest with you. I mean, his defensive abilities are going to get him on the court right away. It's a question of, of his, uh, you know, defensive IQ, his, his um, understanding of the game, coachability. Those are the factors I, I, I don't want to say worry about, but I'm watching uh, in Tari Eason because, uh, you know, I, I'm thrilled with both him and Jabari. I feel like the Rockets got two top level prospects in this draft. Yeah. And it's interesting. While I was watching the summer league, I was reminded of a conversation uh, I had with, how do I just, somebody that worked for the Rockets in 2011, I believe. And this was um, when the Rockets drafted Marcus Morris in the lottery and mm-hmm. Chandler Parsons at 39? 38. 8, 38. Okay, 38. Um, yeah, they drafted Chandler Parsons at 38 and Marcus Morris at 14th, I think. 14th, I think. Yep. 14th or 13th. Kawhi went, yeah, 14th, Kawhi went 15th, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he, he was a lottery pick. Mark Chandler Parsons was the 38th pick. And I remember, um, they talked, he, you know, was telling me about like the first practice with those two and how it was so obvious that Chandler Parsons was the better player. Right. And I'm, I'm again, I, I, I'm not saying anything, but that's just the feeling I had when I was watching summer league. Like it was like, this guy is so clearly the Rockets' best summer league player right now, and it's not like he—he is—he might have the better rookie season. Like I think that I think that's legitimately on the table, just because of how ready he looks and how polished he looks as a ball handler relative to the other prospect the Rockets drafted. Right? I think um, I would just keep my eye out for that. It, it would not surprise me at all if he, you know, has the better rookie season. Sometimes it's it's obvious with these guys. Sometimes you can tell. Yeah, I think Easton's going to become, if not this year, by the next year, one of those guys where you look at the five-man lineups and he's in a lot of those lineups that are really effective. I think he's versatile. I think he'll be able to play three, four. Um, I love the versatility that they're going to have with him and Jabari. So, yeah, this is going to be uh, an important season for him. I mean, obviously very important being his rookie season, but uh, just how he uh, comes out of the gate in training camp will determine – if he's in the rotation and, and playing right out of, you know, right in an opening night. Expertly dodging what I just said there. I like it. I like it. <laughs> what, um, did you, what was your question that I missed? No, no, no. It wasn't a question. I just said, you know, I would be open to the possibility that one of these guys has a better rookie season than the other guy. And it might be the one, the one guy you don't expect to have a better rookie season. I think Jabari will have a better, my personal opinion, that Jabari okay. will have no, a better no, rookie no. season. But I do think Easton's yeah. probably more ready to like, you know, Easton's going to be able to, I mean, you saw in the shot attempts, Easton's able to get his shots off easier than Jabari is. Right. No. I, and I, I would, I think that's the safe bet. Uh, it's just not just, you know, just something I want to throw out there. It's just a rookie year. I'm not saying career. I'm not making any uh, career implications here. Like, uh, so that, that's a storyline I want to, I want to go see. I want to see how translatable that is to NBA play. Obviously the offensive play for sure. Tari Eason. That's surprising. Um, me. That's number four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's your, what's your next one? Well, I thought you were going to take this one, but I, I'm taking Jabari because I think this is the guy Believe it or not, ahead of Shingun and KPJ, I feel like he is the, you know, he's your second star, if you will. That's the hope that he, he grows into that. He's only 19. We don't know that for sure. For all we know, he could end up busting out. But I, I think his rookie season is going to determine a lot. I expect him to have some struggles for sure. Certainly, um, you know, uh, adapting, adjusting to NBA length and guys, you know, it's, he's not going to be as it's not going to be as easy for him to shoot right over certain players. He's going to have to refine his moves, his, uh, you know, two dribbles, uh, you know, step moves and, and, and breaking free from defenders to get his shots off. That's going to be an adjustment, but I think him defensively, how much he grows, how much he gets stronger over this year. <clears throat> that's, that's really key for me. So Jabari is something that, you know, he's probably, I got it fourth on my list as far as biggest story going into the year as, the guy I'm watching because he is, in my opinion, a foundation piece right now. 
Yeah, I, I had the sixth on my list. So, uh, yeah, I definitely want to see what his role is going to be his rookie season. I think the Rockets are going to make it really easy for him. And, like, he doesn't have to be a ball handler his rookie year. You know, like, that is a – I think that is a definite weakness for him. And if you don't think that is, you just weren't watching him or you just blindly, you know, did not pay attention to him. Uh, <laughs> but, but, like, uh, I – that but he's not going to have to do that. Like, he's just not. He's going to ha- he's going to be – a catch and shoot guy for his first year, primarily, I think, and I think that's fine as he develops, as he gets better as a ball handler in the background. I think that work with John Lucas uh, is going to be really, really important. Obviously, Mahmoud's on the coaching staff. He was the developmental coach last year for uh, the the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. So it is going to be interesting to see um, his development in all those other areas. I'm not worried about the shooting percentages at all with him. I think um, you know if anybody was, I mean sample size you know like look at his life and look at the look at summer league look look how long uh yeah. the drastic the sample size is right i think it's it's just one of those things where it, he it could have just been a, a bad sampling of games and he could just be a lot better once the season starts um and i, I i'm not worried about it i think he'll be fine yeah i'm not I, I will say i'm not worried about jabari's like shooting efficiency what I'm not saying I'm worried, but what has me, you know, observing here is his ability to get his shots off. Like, in other words, just be able to, you know, shoot over defenders. Yeah. Like, in other words, I just, I want to be able to, you know, if his, if his efficiency is going down because his shots are being affected um, by NBA length or he's not able to get his shots off, that's concerning. I'm not worried about Jabari in a gym, you know, just being able to knock down shots. So he's a really good shooter. I didn't think in summer league that a lot of his shots were affected by length or anything like that. I think he, I think he was just missing shots. He was, uh, and I thought of a lot, a lot of it was, was a little bit mental. Like he was kind of, uh, shooting a little bit differently. I went like, it yeah, was a little flat. Yeah. Craig noted this to me on the last podcast. And I went back and I went, I wanted to go watch his attempts and his form was definitely different. Like he definitely was aiming right. And instead of just shooting. And I think some of that's just overthinking, you know, again, uh, I think, uh, falling from number one to number three I, you can't Im- it's hard to even like put into words how rattling that is on your yeah. psyche and I, I wonder if uh you know some of that was at play especially against some of the, the big prospects like Holmgren and, and Boncaro um and I, I wonder if like that, that just might just get smooth and smoothing out you know through comfort like with Jalen Green his shot got better as he got more comfortable in the NBA and I think it's possible he just needs to get comfortable in the NBA yeah, and that, that's certainly possible. And I'm not concerned. Like I said, uh, he's 19. I, I was I was watching him in summer league, and I was thinking to myself, this guy is going to get so much stronger. You just look at his frame, and you can tell. And if he grows and he gets any taller, like his dad thinks that he will, um, look out. I mean, I, his defensive impact in summer league was significant. And it is just summer league. I think it's going to take a while, a year, or or maybe a little more for him to have that kind of significant impact on an NBA level. But boy, his ability to impact, uh, you know, an opposing team's offense was significant. I thought it went way beyond just the guy he he defends. The you know the simple screens that that uh, you know point guards or two guards get, and then they're confronted with uh, Jabari. Um, I think that's going to be a huge asset long-term for the Rockets. Okay, I have one more obvious one and one more curveball. I'm going to save that last okay. curveball for the end. Sure. Um, will Eric Gordon get traded before the season starts? Um, and I kind of think for on a for on a basketball level, it might be better if he actually stays for uh, for the start of the season and the Rockets trade him at the deadline. Because I think for a, on a floor spacing level, it would just be kind of disastrous if, if uh, they start... Uh, Jay Sean Tate next to uh, Jabari and um, and Alperin Shangun. I just think it'd be better if if Air Gordon's your starting three. And yeah, you, you need do- a veteran, right? I mean, somebody yeah. out there who knows what they're doing. <laughs> sure, and, some, and somebody out there that can shoot. You know, like it, it, it would just be weird to have a three that can't shoot. Like it just, I think he's a four. You know, I I, I think I think of uh, Jay Sean as a four, and I think you know having uh, Jabari out there. Um, it, you know, it just kind of defeats the purpose of having a floor spacing four. You know, just you, he's basically playing a three for you at that point that can't ball handle. So I would just, you know, personally, I would I would place Jay Sean Tate as kind of your sixth or, or, or seventh man, and I would have Eric Gordon start on a basketball level. That just that just makes the most sense for me. And then you can decide what to do later 
uh, once you get to the trade deadline uh, with whatever lineup that is. Um, at that point, hopefully, you know, Tari Eason becomes more of a factor in play for that, you know, that fifth starting spot. Um, and, you know, you can make your decision from there. But bottom line, I personally think it would be better if Houston, um, you know, had Eric Gordon to start the season. But again, I think a lot of this is impacted by the league. Like, what is the league offering for Eric Gordon right now? You know, is the market a little bit suppressed because people are waiting for these big domino pieces to fall and then Eric Gordon becomes a, a domino piece later? You know, that happens a lot. A lot of times, team gets a big superstar, they immediately want to go acquire role players, complementary role players, right? Eric Gordon's a very good complementary role player to place alongside Kevin Durant. You know, if, if a team uh, decides to go, go in that direction. So I am interested to see how that works out. Um, and obviously, what they get back for Eric Gordon has been a continual conversation with you and I all season. Uh, it seems like they're confident they're going to get a first-round pick that we know for sure now, but multiple people have reported that they've been offered first-round picks. So we'll see if they'll, if they'll still be able to keep that. I, I think I'm a little bit more confident in Rafael's ability to, to you know guarantee themselves into a first-round pick. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see when they decide to actually do this because it's going to happen. You know, I, I it would be it would, be, it would surprise the hell out of me if Eric Gordon ends his season as a Houston Rocket. I think it would surprise everybody, and I think people who say that they aren't surprised at that point are lying. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, it surprised me it didn't get moved to the last deadline. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just to add to that, I you know I agree with you that if they don't if they don't get their offer and they don't trade Eric Gordon, yeah, I, I, I think it makes sense to have Gordon out there over Tate. I'm not sure what will end up happening, but yes, I, I do think that makes sense. It, nice to have a veteran out there as well. Guy who can spread the floor. Fantastic. I'd still trade him if they can get the deal that they want. I agree with you. I think that the, the NBA market right now is just at a standstill. You know, the, the Gobert trade combined with, with two superstars well at least one superstar and one very good player uh in you know kevin durant and donovan mitchell on the market it's just everything is at a standstill with with this gobert trade just inflating everything um and it's unfortunate because what what contending team is going to offer a first round pick for eric gordon right now when these guys are on the table and you don't know if you even need that pick i mean you traded a 2023 pick you can't trade your 24 pick and so it's going to disrupt everything. So, yeah, I think for the Rockets to move Gordon, it's most likely going to have to wait until we see what happens with Durant and possibly Mitchell as well. Um, I would trade him still if it comes if the, the deal comes up. But you're right. They don't have to. Um, I, it's unfortunate they haven't traded him by this point, but it's going to be, I think, very, very easy to deal him at the deadline. Somebody's going to be able to, to use him, certainly. And, you know, half his salary will be gone by then. So. It, it might be easier to, to make that deal then. And with my luck, he'll probably get traded by the time this podcast has to go up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, here's the thing. I think uh, I, I, I agree with you. you. You get a really strong offer that's probably not going to be there in a few months. Do it. You know, you have to do it. Like, yeah. don't, don't even risk it. Just do it. Right. But I think um, I don't think it's the worst case scenario if he starts the season on the, on the roster, especially because I think on a basketball level, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the obvious one. Uh, the, the one, the, the, the curveball I had left actually ties into what you just said. What are the Nets going to get for Eric Gordon? And you may be wondering like, what does this have to do with the Rockets? It has everything to do with the Rockets. Wait, what, what are the, the Nets, Nets going to get for Kevin Durant? You mean? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. sure. Sure. Everything to do with the Rockets because of those picks that the Rockets have coming back from Brooklyn. And if they get back a Donovan Mitchell type of piece, if they get back a Jalen Brown type of piece, obviously changes the valuation on those draft picks and obviously changes what Houston may be thinking internally to do with those draft picks. You know, um, should they deal those picks? Should they decide to um, package those picks and move up into a draft? Um, it's, it's, it's something I would think about uh, if it goes in a direction that you aren't expecting or yeah. if it is headed in that direction. Jalen Brown Simmons and the, some of the shooters they have. I mean, that's possibly a playoff team. East has gotten so much better. Um, so I do think that I, I, my hunch is that this is, they're not going to keep Katie and Kyrie the whole year. Um, and I think they're going to be a lottery team. That's just my guess. You never know. But when you suddenly just throw a bunch of guys together in, in a room, it usually doesn't work out when there's a very competitive conference going on. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big story. Um, this year, you know, it's funny. We've, I think we may have talked about this in the past, but just this is the year, if any year, the Nets could tank and be 
kind of okay, right? They're going, they're, they're matched up against the Rockets. The Rockets are not going to be that good. Um, that pick, if it's swapped, it, you know, it's, they're still going to get whatever Houston is. So it's not the end of the world for them this year, but long-term it's, it's, uh, it's, I think more of an impact on the Rockets. But yes, I'm, I'm sitting there hoping that they completely crater. So we have, you know, the Rockets have a more significant chance at the, the number one pick this year. Yeah, and and I, I I kind of secretly secretly wonder if the Nets are like, hey, we have no problem taking Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving into the season because they will help us get wins and avoid a worst case scenario, you know, of swapping picks with the Rockets and um, potentially having to give up a very very good pick. And so I I, I think that's I, I don't know if that's part of their calculus, but I, it's definitely in the back of my mind, you know, throughout these yeah. negotiations. I don't have to make a deal now. In fact, it actually behooves me not to make a deal now because I, I can make my you know picks look a lot better, and by a lot better, I mean a lot worse, and so I don't have to swap it. And but if they go out right now and trade him for three or four first round picks and a few players, uh, I mean, or I sh- I'll say right now four first round picks at a minimum. I mean, you compare that to the Gobert trade; they're going to be criticized, so they're kind of stuck. They're they're asking for from if all these reports are true for way way too much for KD because no contending team can completely gut their team to get Kevin Durant it doesn't make any sense uh, even if he is signed for four more years so you know but I, I don't have a problem with that that's kind of what, what the Rockets did with Harden you know like they, they their initial asking price was a young star and a boatload of picks and they got the boatload of picks they didn't get the young star right but like I, had, I don't have a problem with posturing they're they're well I guess what I'm saying is they're going to have to work three or 14 deals like the Rockets did. The Rockets view of, a, of getting a star was Oladipo, right? That didn't work out. Then they got their four picks. I, I think in their case, we're hearing four picks, uh, you know, Scotty Barnes or, um, you know, uh, with Phoenix, just, you know, different players that they, that I guess they're kind of out of it right now, but Mikhail Bridges and of course, Jalen Brown and, and multiple picks and Marcus Smart. And it's like, how, how can a team give up all of their, the reason they're in that position to begin with to me, that's going to be tough after the Gobert trade is finding what is acceptable from a contending team to get Kevin Durant and still be a contending team. That's, that's going to be the big question between now and whenever he's dealt. And if I could offer up some advice for uh, some of these NBA general managers out there, obviously they're all listening to this podcast. Um, (laughs) Of course, but um, don't get bullied. By Danny Ainge, don't let him set the market. Don't let him. Don't let them. Don't let him do that. Like Danny Ainge is an amazing general manager. I I, I always thought, defended him when all the crazies thought he was you know wrong for holding on to picks or whatever. Right? Like I think he's one of the best general managers in basketball. Maybe the best general manager in basketball has a very compelling case to be that guy. And you know I I'm, I'm very happy he's you know on people's minds to be being on top of the mountaintop again, right? In my opinion, he never left. But that aside, you don't let the Rudy Gobert trade dictate the market for Donovan Mitchell. Absolutely not, right? I think even the Timberwolves would acknowledge that they overpaid for him, right? Uh, I would hope so, yeah. yeah I th- it, I mean, they have a pretty smart, smart front office over there uh, loaded with a bunch of smart people, including uh, Rocket's own former executive, Sachin Gupta, right? Like, I, I, I don't think they think... Uh, they paid a fair price for this, right? I think they know that they overpaid uh, with some sort of urgency to do it. I don't know what their urgency was, but whatever it, whatever it was, they, they, they indeed had some urgency to do this deal. And so they were willing to do that. They were willing to give all that up. I would not let that set the price for Kevin Durant. I would not let that set the price for Donovan Mitchell. I would not let Don, um, Danny Ainge bully me. Because if you do that, you're ruining the price for star players in the future. Oh, right? yeah. At that who can point, afford? You, yeah, who can afford eight first-round picks? You know, so like the Knicks are the only team, other than maybe OKC or or something like that, that could could do that. And they're that's they're reportedly asking for six, seven first-round picks and and young talent for Donovan Mitchell. Give me a break. I mean, that's yeah. absurd. No, don't get bullied. Don't get bullied. Yeah. That's my advice. Uh, <laughs> second I want to throw thing. one story. Oh, go ahead. Go. go you got no, a second no, no, thing. No. I want to okay. hear a story. Go ahead. I, I got one other thing I think that's important this year that that maybe we overlooked a little bit, and that's Stephen Silas. It's just. You know, this is his third year, and I, 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 this is another year where they're not going to place winning as the number one priority, and it's the final year. But I do think there's going to be a lot um, to watch for from Silas this year. There needs to be more of a structure. I think there needs to be more of a, a little bit more of an offensive success 
despite the youth, um, because it's on in a year. I mean, in, in, in one year, they are trying to win. That doesn't mean they're going to be a contending team right, right then and that right then and there, but they plan to win. So it, this is an important kind of tryout, if you will, for Silas, where they've been patient and they, you know, the, the number one focus is still player development, but I think they need to see some progress this year from him. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to that Celtics thing and we're going to come back. Uh, sure. I promise you we're going to get back. Sure. So the Jalen Brown thing, absolutely. You can, you should trade Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart for Kevin Durant. Absolutely. Like, I, I can't believe this is even a question right now. Like what, what are we doing? It's Kevin Durant. It's Kevin freaking Durant. You have two years left on Jalen Brown. If you don't win a title in the next two years, I guarantee you, I can t- I'll say this right now. What is this? July 31st, 2022. If they don't win a title in, within the next two years, that core is not sticking together. Stop thinking of it that way. Like they've already been together for six or seven years. They haven't won a title together. That urgency starts to pick up. Everybody knows that they're capable of doing great things. They just made the finals. The pressure is on. So this idea that you're shortening your window by trading for Kevin Durant, your window is already short. Jalen Brown has two years left. You don't have him on an extension. So go trade for Kevin Durant. You have him actually on a longer term deal. He's going to be uh, 34 with four years left on his contract. Jalen Brown at the start of the season is going to be 24 with um, two years left on his contract. So, yeah, that's not, there's not that much upside there. I, got, I think, you know, people misjudge uh, when to keep calling players prospects. I think Jalen Brown is one of those players, right? I think it's possible that there's, a, there's another major leap there, right? And perhaps you wait half a season to see if there is, see if it is there, and then and you then you do this deal at the deadline. But then if that if that leap doesn't get there, where he's not first or second team All NBA type of guy, do this deal, take this deal. Well, Kevin Durant th- by is this not deal. I mean, you're talking about Smart and and Brown. Yes, I, I'm with you, but they want multiple first round picks on top of that. I would cap off the picks, right? I, okay. I would like if you're getting Jalen Brown, you're not getting all my picks. I don't care. Like obviously, yeah. don't get same thing. Going back to the advice, don't get bullied. Right, don't get bullied. Yeah, uh, and I think this is so, what you're doing right now is the exact. I don't mean to interrupt, but the exact approach Daryl Morey took when Harden was on the block, and he felt like he had the best prospect in Ben Simmons at the time. I think that's one of the reasons the Rockets. I mean, they they assessed Simmons as well, but one of the reasons they went the other way because Morey felt like he had the leverage. And as far as getting the best pro, uh, player on the block, he did. I, same case here. Boston has the leverage in Jalen Brown. I mean, they're not going to get. Eh, unless Scotty Barnes, you can, I mean, I, I think Jalen Brown's a better player, but Scotty Barnes is certainly very young and has good upside. They're, they're going to be hard pressed to get a player that's better than Jalen Brown in any trade. I don't, I don't care what you're doing. You can get a bunch of picks, but as far as player, Jalen Brown's probably going to be the best you can get. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think, I think I would go for the pick package if I were them. Um, I would view those picks that you have go out going to Houston as a sunk cost. It's easier said than done. It's easier said than done, right? Like yeah. it's seeing top picks go to another team, it's just soul crushing. We've seen it happen before to the Nets in particular, to the Boston, <laughs> to, to yeah. the Boston Celtics, right? And like that, that's that is uh, something I'm sure they have deep tissue scarring about. And yeah. I would, I would, I would be obviously very cognizant of that. But if if I'm Sean Marks. I'm going to Joe Sai and I'm like, listen, you hired me to look out for the long-term interest of this franchise. By going for a, a giant haul of picks, it may it may be bad PR-wise, right? It may look ugly for us to give up really good first-round picks, but it's better for our long-term future. So I'm going to go do that. So yeah. that's just that's just what I would do. But again, if 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 they're, I, I don't I don't have any problem with them going for Jalen Brown. I, that's just that's you know if if they if they decide they can they're in a position where they can kind of retool around Kyrie Brown uh, Simmons you know I don't I don't blame any I don't blame them for thinking that way uh, but again the Celtics if 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 that deal comes to the table Smart Brown maybe one first round pick do it do it you know and if they ask for a second pick heavily protected you know yeah. like like I there there's a reason these protections exist. This is why they haven't had a trade, really. I think that Brooklyn's just asking for the moon. And and they, frankly, as you pointed out, because they don't have their picks, Houston owes them, they need the moon. And we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie. I still want to see the, you know, their Lakers and Russ situation blow up continuously in their face. And that's what I prefer. 
But if they trade Durant, it might be a deal of Kyrie going to the Lakers for Russ in a pick or two. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I think once KD gets traded, I think the dominoes will start falling. But right now, there just seems to be no sense of urgency because kind of like the Rockets, I mean, you remember the Rockets were dragging their feet too because they weren't getting, there wasn't enough leverage. They only had really two teams that they were negotiating with in Brooklyn and Philly because that was kind of the list that they were, they were given. Um, and they were able to get uh, a deal that, that was good enough for them after, you know, Harden kind of pushed them that way. So we'll see. I think a lot of this is going to be KD and, and what he, how he reacts to this. If he's, you know, just fine playing in Brooklyn, Brooklyn's probably not going to feel any pressure, but if he, you know, sort of grabs hold of the wheel, um, we'll see what happens. A la Harden. Yeah. It's going to, it's certainly going to be interesting. All right. Uh, I'll leave this to you. Do you have any compelling storylines that are eating up at you right now? Not really. I think there's a lot to watch for in this year because, you know, you've got players we didn't even discuss, Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba, Dacia Nix, Ty Ty Washington. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys I think that the Rockets have, and some of them are not going to pan out. That's just the facts. And some of them are, maybe even more than we expect them to. So um, it's a very, it's going to be a fun year. I don't know if I go 30 wins like you do. I think this team is probably around 25. Um, I just think the West has gotten even stronger. Um, but we'll see. I think this is going to be a fun year. I'm excited for all the storylines and I'm, I'm even more excited about what this is leading up to, um, in 2023, which is going to be an incredibly fun off season. And that's when we can get back to everyone cheering for wins outright. <laughs> well, listen, that's why I was able to secure that bet because a lot of people don't believe they're going to get to 30 wins. And I actually do think they will be able to, because I think a lot of these players are being underrated, man. I, I, I really do. I think these, some of these, uh, you know, not not to Shingun. I think Jalen Green to some extent. You know what he did to, to, to end last season was really eye opening for me. So let you me know, ask we'll, you this though: How many teams do you think in the West are are the Rockets are better than those teams? A couple. I, okay. I would say uh, I think they're better than the Thunder. Uh, okay. I, I, I hesitate. Thunder added a lot of players. They, I mean, they get you know. Yeah. Yeah. Chet and, and Jalen Williams should be ready to go day one. I think as far as having impact, but we'll see. And they and they also have Shea, right? They also have Shea. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm not, again, I'm never, I'm never confident about this stuff, but it is what it is. I think they're better than them. Uh, I think they're, there's a possibility. Probably San Antonio and maybe Utah when it's all said and done. I was going to say Utah. Yeah. I think there's a possibility they're better than Utah. And, um, and if you can get there, you, it's not that hard to sniff 30 wins. Again, like the, the 30 wins is like the sixth worst record in basketball. It's not like I'm saying they're going to be like, <laughs> Oh, I know. You know yeah. Yeah. But I, so, believe it or not, 30 wins could be one of those years where, you know, who knows if you're you're battling for the play-in because of that, because of, you know, 10 teams. But but you're right. I, I think it's just, a, you know, Sacramento's better this year. Um, obviously, New Orleans has taken another step, getting Zion back. So it, it's going to be a really competitive conference. Uh, oh, I forgot to get back to your Silas point. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be really compelling to see what, what they do with Silas. I think um, I would wait it out. Again, no rush to do this. You have no rush to go out and um and fire your head coach i think especially because you know the impact that has on players like typically this is just typically right this obviously you can be the anomaly um once you go through one head coach you have one maybe two opportunities to get the next one right before your star a star grows disgruntled right and if you believe a star is on the team which i do i think jalen green is a star if you believe a star is on the team, you got to be very cognizant of that. You can only change coaches on him so much. You have to keep that bullet in the chamber as long as you possibly can until you know it's winning time. That's just my. That's just how I feel about this. Yeah, I'll just say though, I, you know, sometimes it's not so much about the coach failing as it is they need a new voice. And I'm not saying it's too early for that, but I do think if not this year, very early in the next year, that's going to be up. And you know, with with Silas is going to need to show some real progress or something uh, to solidify himself in that job. Because at that point, I think he's going to be uh, looked at a little differently. I said that was the last thing I did have a, a kind of sneaky question. For sure. You. Go ahead. Do you want to reunite with Harden as a Rockets fan? Is that something you're interested in? Um, all the, the personal side of me is like, absolutely not. I don't want to deal with that again. Um, as far as strictly basketball, take everything out the side. It, it's, um, boy, it's a sneaky good addition if you're able to do it because 
I don't Again, think it would I'll, be sticky good. I think it would be all right good. Well, we'll see in a year. We'll see where his game is, right? I mean, he's getting uh-huh. up there. He, he showed some decline, but I, you're right. It would be good. I guess what I'm saying is there's your floor general. There's your guy who's going to put people in positions to succeed. There's a guy who can has enough gravity to, you know, the, the guys who are spacing the floor. Um, and you have the cap room to sign him. I just, I don't know if it's still continue, you know, still a possibility. I just do know that that was discussed even before he was dealt. Um, this was, uh, you know, a distinct possibility. I think that he thought he was probably going to Brooklyn to win a title that very first year. Um, yeah, I think Harden kind of knew this was a possibility. He very, not so subtly hinted at that in his letter, right? He talked about how I ca- I keep all my promises. I yes. promise you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I think it's at least in the back of his mind somewhere. We'll see, you know what happens this year with the Sixers. I actually think they're going to be very good. If they're, they win a title, right, yeah, you have to look at it. Right now, we, before the Kevin Durant move has happened, they're my favorite. I think I like that team a lot. I think they have two top eight players in basketball, and I think no other team can say that. You know, I, I, I that's just the way I feel. Um, but a lot, of people, a lot of people don't feel the same way about Harden. So we'll see. We will see. I don't want to keep too much of your time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, I know you, I, I know you wanted to plug a lot of things. Go ahead. Go plug. Oh no, no, just, uh, you know, I, I just say what we've been doing lately is, uh, the clutch fans shop, which has been a lot of fun. It's uh, shop.clutchfans.net. It's, uh, you know, just gear for the site and also a lot of, uh, rockets themed gear, just, uh, just fun, either inside jokes or player related stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, that's been something that's been kind of new over the last, uh, three months or so. Um, and we're doing Astros and Rockets stuff and, and probably adding some Texan stuff as well. So it's been it's been really cool. Go check that out. Go check out the site, clutchfans.com. Uh, go check out reneesnoops.com. Uh, it's my my newsletter. I put out stuff every week, obviously. Um, the, the Q&A does come out today. So, you know, obviously, if you're a fan of this podcast on YouTube, go to Apollo Houston. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Videos will be coming out there every Monday. Uh, the the podcast is obviously on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever the hell you listen to podcasts. Red Nation Hoops. Give us five stars. And yeah, guys, I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. <laughs>